Whether you're at a game table, in your comfiest chair reading a book, or listening at home, there's nothing like a great adventure story. But they don't happen by accident. Welcome to the Joy of GMing, a special interview series on the craft of great gaming. There's just something magic about sitting down to a good table with great friends, isn't there? If you're a lifelong gamer or a newbie rolling up your first character sheet, if you're a DM or a GM or just can't get enough tabletop talk in your day, this is the show for you. Each episode will bring you amazing guest speakers to talk about writing games and running them, building fantastic worlds and compelling story arcs, and oh-so-useful tricks of the trade. Here's some amazing stories, get inspired for your next game, and join us for an hour and a half or so of lively conversation. This sister series to Anywhere But Now, our Doctor Who actual play podcast, will be released between mods or episodes with our ongoing serialized show. We'll cover some making of and behind the scenes tidbits of our latest mod as well, so do stick around. I'm Casey Jones, writer and voice actor. Over the last dozen years, I've written and produced screenplays, children's animation for TV and film, graphic novels, stage plays, murder mysteries, and audio adventures. I've also been writing and running tabletop games for over 10 years. Join me as we dive deep into creativity with fellow experts in making stuff up. Our special guest today is Shane Rachels. He's a DM of over 15 years and the dungeon master behind season one, Terra, of the podcast Unnatural One. He loves telling stories, reading, practicing NPC voices, and in his free time, running games on startplaying.games, where you can find him as Sikyo. Links to everything in the doobly-doo. Shane, welcome to the show. It is so nice to have you here. Thanks, it's good to be here. I, uh, I appreciate the chance to hang out and chat. <laughs> You're very welcome. I love talking tabletop. I would really like to talk to you about your creative process for writing up mods for Unnatural One. For instance, I have really enjoyed listening to Ghost Ship, which is the start of your latest campaign. What can you tell our listeners about it? Ghost Ship is the latest of the arcs that we do in the campaign. I've set it up so that we use like milestone leveling to kind of help you know make sure everybody's on the same level and stuff as far as... Mm-hmm. Um, characters and character progression and stuff goes when i was designing the campaign and kind of you know sitting down and writing out the story the idea i had was to set everything up in arcs you know like Mm -hmm. short kind of you know five six episode little sessions and stuff that way everybody knows okay this is what's happening this is the main focus of this arc this is kind of what the story is for this so that you can listen to them kind of independently if you Mm -hmm. really like that arc more than others or the story or something like that and then combine all those into a full campaign as far as it goes. Uh, Ghost Ship is, in particular, honestly, the big one. It's the one where like, I finally get to sit down and throw a big lore dump in the middle of everything and, and really, get that, uh, yeah, really get that look from the players of, oh, so that's what this is about. Um, and it's been, uh, it's, it's been fun. It really has. I'm so glad. Yeah, that's really wonderful. I have thoroughly enjoyed listening to this cast with Josh playing Grex the Goblin and Sammy playing the Gnome, Michael as Khan, Courtney as Jin, and Jake as Ezra Hightower. Were all these players friends before you recorded your, your first games? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, we've been friends, um, some of us, for uh, almost 20 years at this point. It's been a blast, you know, hanging out with these guys and stuff. But we've only been playing D&D together for about five years or so. Mm-hmm. But we were we were friends, you know, kind of long before that. And I got them invested, you know, in the hobby and, and addicted to you know, Dungeons & Dragons, as it were. And then uh, about a year ago or so, almost... Uh, exactly at this point i was like hey let's do a podcast and everybody was immediately in and so here we are wonderful i would love to talk about world building that you have already put into season one with Terra, t-e-r-r-a and how you set up your characters to inhabit it did the world building come first did the pcs like, how much were you involved in the PC creation with your players? It's a good mix. So I thoroughly enjoy giving my players, like, agency. I love giving them the ability to input or not input as much, you know, into the world and stuff as they will. Um, mm-hmm. I have a couple of players who are like, you know, let me focus on the character and put that character into the world and let them react, you know, the way to the world itself. And I have other ones who are like, let me build an entire underground criminal organization and make my character the main part of it. Like uh, in the Wanted arc, for example, um, Mm -hmm. Grex, Josh's character, is arrested. um, And it's because he's a member of this criminal underground thing. Um, It's like a whole arc where he gets arrested. The party has to like clear his name and go through a whole thing. And that's all that kind of stuff. But that criminal organization did not exist in my world building before josh created his character and it's it's a thing like like i said i I love you know if they want to put in that much effort i will find a way to put it into my campaign one way or the other you know what i mean i do but i basically created the world and the story and left like not necessarily a blank slate but blank pages in the book Mm -hmm. for them to you know turn around and be like hey let me make this character. Let me add this in. Let me. There's a, another very similar thing with um, Ezra, uh, Jake's character, where he is. He's not quite a member of the nobility, but his family like runs the kind of democratic government and stuff like that or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. like, okay, these will be characters that I have at some point, and now I have a way to tie them in with Jake um, mm-hmm. and his character and stuff like that. So it's like, if they want to input that, I will use it. Otherwise, you know, I've kind of created the world where they just put their characters in it and then we just go from there. Um, So it's a bit of a mixed process. It's not like we all wrote it together. Mm. I do try to keep them not necessarily in the black about it, but, you know, don't spoil too much. You know what I mean? I don't want them to have like know exactly what's coming and stuff like that. But at the same time, like I said, if they do give me something, I'll use it. Sometimes whether they like it or not, but that's for later on in the series. Absolutely. I love working with the players to find out at least one or two interesting things about their backstory and about what they want so that when I'm working on world building or mod writing that I have this immediate in to how they're thinking what they want to accomplish or who they want to accomplish it with or for like with kate who plays our intrepid reporter mave from the minute that the player told me they wanted to play an investigative reporter i knew i had a protagonist that would practically always have a immediate reason to go start digging 
you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Giving them and giving their character Maeve a mystery to solve, a elusive figurehead to hunt down and interview, <laughs> a dark yes. secret to uncover. Those have not only made the story building part of it easier, but I get to fill it with texture and characters that the character knows or is invested in getting to know. And I find that really helps add some personal investment to keeping things going, you know? Mm -hmm. One of my favorite things about it, you mentioned like putting in uh, characters that your, your players know and stuff. Mm -hmm. Going back to Wanted and um, Josh and how much he built, you know, uh, when he was creating his character and stuff. He, he gave me a list of NPCs, I kid you not, two pages long. With these full, like, vivid descriptions and stuff of them. And I was like, okay, so I could put these characters in here and I can have them mentioned. But you gave me so many and I kind of want to keep the story focused. Because one of the premises of Unnatural One, like as a podcast, is that it's very focus there's not a ton of like, filler content you know what i mean like every arc is mm. it's meaningful it, it does something to progress the story that kind of thing and i was like you know i can add these characters in i was like but look they're gonna end up being like mentions at best you know that kind of thing and mm. i was like so do this for me then let me pick a few of these and i'm not even going to tell you which ones i pick but let me pick mm. a few of these and i'll put them in but i'm going to change them a little slightly i might combine you know two or three of these characters together and kind of have like you know an amalgamation thing or whatever and it's like you're not going to recognize exactly what's going on until you get there but you'll know it when you see it you know that kind of thing mm. and that's that's a really fun thing to do is like you know you have this character that the the pc created and you're there and everything and and you get to break out one of these characters that they don't see coming. They don't expect, and you get to see the look, you know, on their faces or, you know, hear their gasps of surprise and stuff. And you're like, yeah, by the way, this is that guy from your backstory. And it's so fun to see. It's, it's a blast. It really is. Especially when a character shows up all of a sudden and something about them is able to surprise the player. Yeah. To stay with Maeve and Kate for a second, they have on their character sheet, under their items, an IOU from a friend named Kit. That's all they have about that person. And something I've really enjoyed with our first season is bringing in flashbacks into things to add a little bit of extra context to a scene, to inform a little bit of background on a character of like, oh, that's what gave them the idea for so-and-so. And also just to surprise them, to see what comes up when they're playing a version of that character before they might have met the other PCs they're involved with, and just get that extra little viewfinder glimpse <laughs> of their past, you know? It's a fun thing. If you think about like characters, you know, the same way you think about people, which you theoretically should. Mm -hmm. It's It's fun to think about characters at different points in their lives and kind of, you know... Like what, uh, what they may have been like before the grand adventure, before everything kind of took off and stuff. And it's always really fun to kind of, to look at that. I haven't done any sort of like flashback scenes or anything like that, but I have done like scenes where they're meeting characters from their past that like, you know, for example, that they may not want the party to know about because that would paint them in a different light or something along those lines. And those scenes mm. are always fun because it's like, who is this character? Like, why are they who they are? 
And you can't really explain that by having the character just word vomit, essentially, and kind of tell the story. Yeah. You have to show it in kind of in context. Thank you. Having those kind of scenes, it just it adds so much to the story itself, and it adds to the character at the same time. And it's it's a fun thing. It's such a fun thing to do. It really is. I love it when we can bring an NPC to the table that already knows a character and just like you say, suddenly inform and show this whole facet of a PC that may have played dozens of hours with us by this point, you know, can still surprise us with, wait, you had a goth face? (laughs) Hang on, you had a pickpocketing face? I'm sorry, what? (laughs) It's a blast, especially... It's even better when the PC isn't expecting it most of the time, and it's mm-hmm. it's fun. Yeah, I try to set up my character's expectations as little as possible. Like, there are mods they go into completely blind, and they don't even know what the title of the mod is until they've finished the first leg of it. <laughs> yeah, that's you know? that's been one of my favorite things. Like, I, I've been listening to the podcast and stuff, I can't remember exactly where it was. I think it was in, it might have been the first episode when you were introducing the characters and stuff. You mentioned a mod that you later run, um, The mm-hmm. Wages of Joy. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that and said, that, you know, hey, I, I got this player in the first time, didn't tell them what they were doing. I'm like, man, that is a glorious idea, actually. <laughs> just send them down and hand them a character sheet and just be like, so this is who you are. Even let them create the character and stuff, but tell them absolutely nothing. I was like, I'm going to do that at some point. I don't know when, but that sounds like such a fun idea. It can be. It really can be. A talented actor and storyteller and friend of mine, Jack Shear, he played Trip Shine in our premiere episodes through the looking glass and also came back delightfully for the two-parter across two mods of Hard Time and Rift Apart. And he also, because I've worked with him as an actor before, and we know each other, and there's a there's a shorthand, and he's also an experienced tabletop player. Like, he's been playing games uh, for decades. So I was able to work with him on Trip Shine in very broad strokes and then just trust Jack to play Trip as he would play Trip and bring out all these wonderful qualities of the character. Like he's a little bit of a flirt, like other time agents we've met, and not the brightest bulb in the Vortex Manipulator. There's just something wonderful about setting up all these pieces and then letting them bump into each other and play off of each other. There is there is something to be said, like you mentioned, um, you know, giving him broad strokes and stuff or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it, there is something to be said, like you know, we're talking about surprising the characters and kind of giving them the big, you know, surprise moments or whatever. But it's a, it's mm-hmm. a fun thing when it happens for the DM as well. Absolutely. You mentioned Jack playing Trip Shine and stuff, and it's like. I don't know if you sat down and like gave him, you know, you gave him these broad strokes and stuff, but you know, tell him, Hey, I need this scene to happen or I need this kind of thing to happen or whatever. But it's one of those things where it's like you reacting to that as well, you know, throwing in those improv skills and kind of um, stuff like that. It's, it's fun when it happens to you and you get put in the hot seat just as much as it is when it happens to a player. Mm. It's always one of those. Oh, okay kind of moments and i i enjoy those just as much absolutely like i don't ever 
go into a scene saying, okay, here's what we need to happen because that feels a bit too constrictive. Mm-hmm. We're not putting this game on rails. The characters get to take them in their own directions by their own choice. And the roles, the the dice roles, will have as much to say about it as anything else. Always. <laughs> Always. <laughs> the, the, the dice can take the story in a completely different direction than anyone anticipated sometimes. They absolutely can. In our most recent aired episode, because I'm a huge fan of Doctor Who, because I love when things go wibbly-wobbly, because as we've seen on the show, cause and effect do not always go in the right order, and sometimes greater symptoms can show up in reality from problems that don't necessarily look directly attached to them. Throwing those kinds of random consequences still attached to dice still attached to choices that the players are making based on things they've already done can completely upend the game (laughs) in the first draft of what was kind of expected to happen in hard time i fully expected the fixer to either sweet talk the villain of the day felix fugit into letting him get in touch with the wayward time lord or, you know, get something going. And instead, he just sets off this cataclysmic explosion and has to roll <laughs> uh, for the for the aftershocks. And when he said odds and they came up snake eyes, the earthquake that he kicked off with that moment of choice completely changed the direction of the second half of the story. Immediately, we've got this ticking clock of we need to get out of here right now before the entire planet crumbles. It's 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 wonderful to to have characters be able to make those decisions and take scenes in a completely different direction than what we were expecting. Mm-hmm. There's a scene very like that. Um, I can't spoil too much because of our recording process. We record. Mm. We just released episode 30, and we have upwards of like 48, 49 episodes recorded. And we give ourselves plenty of time to, you know, make sure they're edited and stuff so that we don't have to, like, you know, stress ourselves to have them edited in time, you know, stuff like that. Oh, sure. So the players and I kind of know what's coming, you know, far ahead of time uh, when these episodes release and stuff. But there's a thing that happens in one of our most recent episodes that we recorded. And when it happened, I'm sitting there going, huh, what is this going to do to what I had planned, which was for them to take a left and they took a right, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's fun, like, looking, you know, kind of after the fact, or even maybe before the fact, but I, I consider D&D to almost be a reactive game a lot. Mm-hmm. It's fun to sit there after the fact and go, okay, so these guys just, you know, took this right turn. What are the, you know, almost butterfly effect style consequences that are going to come out from this? And how is that going to affect the story? And, uh, oh, sure. you know, thinking about like, we've taken a break since recording that last episode. It's been like about two weeks now. And mm-hmm. it is in my head constantly of going, huh. So now that they've done that, that means I have to put this character here and kind of move this over here and kind of rearrange the whole, you know, map almost that I had made based mm-hmm. on what they were doing before. Sometimes, maybe it's a little bit frustrating. Other times it's like, okay, this is maybe the greatest thing that's ever happened. 
uh, in the history of Dungeons and Dragons. I'm pretty sure. You know what I mean? That has to be a good feeling. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty great. And you know, doing those consequences to player actions and stuff. Not all of them are good. Um, you know, I'm sure no. we'll see. I haven't actually listened to Beyond Hard Time. That's where I'm at, and in the actual podcast and stuff. And I'm curious to see like if there will be other consequences past that that end up showing up down the road. I actually eagerly awaiting that. I'm not gonna lie. Wait until you hear. To respond to your thoughts on, like, is it frustrating? Is it is it vindicating when things turn left when we're expecting them to go right or vice versa? As a GM, I used to be a lot more restrained, personally self-restrained, by how a story, quote-unquote, had to go in order to feel like it was in a given genre, you know? Mm-hmm. By loosening up those strictures, by saying, okay, we're not going to determine from the beginning how the game is going to end. We're going to determine how the game would go if the heroes do nothing, or if the heroes do this, that, or third thing. And I think there's something important about the world building you're doing so that you have realistic consequences, or realistic in terms of the game. You know, obviously, Magic A is Magic A. But to have built a world where they can turn right instead of turn left and have those dominoes that they're brushing with their shoulders and they go knocking them over in other directions, it is, it, I find it liberating. Speaking personally, I, when we started out, I had 12 mods of stories in my mind to, to lay out and tell for the Fixer and their companions over the course of, you know, 20-some episodes of listening enjoyment and <laughs> the actual roadmap of the order of those stories has changed two or three times already yeah. uh, with the characters making the choices they're making um the more i'm learning about the characters um because the better i get to understand them the better i get to know what the characters will want, what the PCs playing them are, what the kind of choices they're likely to make. It has definitely upended the table a bit of like, well, okay, if this is the tempo they're going for this specific goal, we're going to have to move some things around so it's really satisfying for them to get to this point and still have some cake for the end of the season. <laughs> Tabletop gaming in general, what it tends to be is, is collaborative storytelling, right? Oh yes. It takes there's a there's a certain point in every like dungeon master's journey to being a dungeon master and stuff where you realize that you can sit down and and you can tell a story. You can basically write a novel. You know what I mean? Or a, mm. a screenplay or anything else like that and you can write the story from end to beginning. And you can do that, but the story that the players want to tell may be completely different, right? Mhm. Mm and it's one of those things where like when you are playing in a Dungeons and Dragons world or when you're playing in any tabletop world and you know you have these other people that are part of the story it takes a certain amount of flexibility you have to to learn to bend and yet you can still get that story out you know what I mean and you can have that kind mm -hmm. of straight path from end to beginning that you wrote you know when you had the story envisioned and when you created everything around it and kind of did all that stuff or whatever but then when you add the players in you have curves you know what i mean you have like <laughs> sometimes even loop-de-loops uh to kind of get back to where it needs to go you know what i mean and that mm -hmm. story after it's all fed uh, said and done 
is sometimes very different than that straight path novel that you had written before and we've come across a lot of those moments in our in our campaign where i've had to like kind of like i said you know okay well i guess this character is over here now you know what i mean that kind of stuff and it's there there is definitely something invigorating about it you know what i mean like just kind of sitting there and going okay like okay now i have to rewrite this whole next session and i didn't mean frustrating as in like you know it's actually it's it's like frustrating in the sense of well i had this whole next section planned yeah i can't do that but i get (laughs) to write this whole next section you know what i mean Mm-hmm. And there's there is something cool about going. Okay, well, everything I had planned is out of the window, and now I have until next week to get this settled back into place. Let's go. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Let's 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 settle down and get into it. Um, <laughs> it's one of the best parts of playing tabletop games, honestly. Can you give us an example from a recent game without too many spoilers? I'd love to hear about your personal experience. Like, has there been something that Courtney did or that Sammy did that surprised you and turned things in a new direction? Potentially. We talked about Ghost Ship and we talked about how, um, you know, this was going to be the big moment. So the arc before this, um, Camaresca, the idea here mm-hmm. is that the, the four main villains of the game are the four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, pestilence, war, famine, death. And when the players figured this out, because they figured it out, like we have um, on Patreon, we had these episodes called bonus actions. They're just us sitting around talking about the game, kind of an after action report kind of thing. Oh, that's really great. And um, they figured out the four horsemen angle during one of the, the bonus actions. Like one of the players looked at me and said, are we fighting the four horsemen? And I was like, yeah, I'm so happy somebody figured it out. But during the, the previous arc, um, they met Pestilence for the first time and they ended up fighting mm-hmm. him and there was this big moment where i was getting giving them a chance to kind of talk to him to um you know try to figure out what's going on from there and they didn't they just went straight into fight you know what i mean um mm-hmm. so i had to kind of figure out a different way to deliver that story to deliver that exposition and kind of set it in you know actual motion so the very next mm-hmm. arc in Ghost Ship, the Camaresca arc ends with the death of one of our characters. Um, it ends mm-hmm. with Jin, Courtney's character, actually, just dropping dead. No saves, no ifs, ands, or buts. Perfectly healthy before, and Oof. she just dies. Drops like a stone. Yeah, just while she's sleeping. And one of our other characters is actually sleeping in the same bed with her. And uh, Sammy, actually, our gnome friend. And I, I described this big thing as like, you know, the weight of Jen's body, like falling on top of her and all this other stuff. And what I did was change another one of our characters. I changed death. And rather than having, you know, Pestilence kind of deliver this exposition and stuff like that, my thought was they just killed one of Death's siblings. Death is going to have something to say about this. So at the end of the arc, she retaliates death retaliates and she she ends up killing the entire party and she takes them all to the afterlife and there's this big scene in the afterlife and stuff where again i was expecting there to be this whole exposition thing and i was going to drop stuff like metaphysics and i was going to drop stuff like you know the greater universe as a whole not just the continent not just the world where these guys are and kind of stuff like that and i was planning to go into this big huge thing and one of our characters grex played by josh goes will you just shut up and tell us what's going on and it was like yeah sure i guess um so look here's the deal (laughs) (laughs) 
and it's one of those like you know things that like like i said you know the player tells the story there would have been this big huge discussion about like the way the universe works and who the four horsemen are and who their goddess that they're trying to save is and so on and so forth there would have been this big huge kind of like i said you know almost exposition style lore dump and, and all that where i can get out all these details mm-hmm. but they didn't want that they wanted the nitty-gritty they wanted the you know tell us exactly what's going on and then let us leave or we'll fight death right now by god you know what i mean um and it's like okay cool but because that that exposition and stuff was delivered the way it was because it had to be so upfront and so fast there are certain details my characters don't have now those details interesting may be relevant further down the line um those particular episodes won't be aired so i can't go into that but um like i said that changed the entire direction of the story right because from there they could have went wherever they wanted to they could have you know cavorted off to the other side of the continent and kind of did you know or went back to their home base in bastion they could have done any of Mm -hmm. these things but because they acted the way they did because they straight up killed pestilence you know their other siblings have something to say about it and that kind of changed the direction the story was going to take from that point you know taking that left turn instead of the right yeah and it's it's actually great because I don't think when you hear the four horsemen, you kind of think of them in a certain order. Like if you think, okay, you know, I'm going to fight the four horsemen, you always consider death is definitely going to be last. You know what I mean? Well, there's something just so final about it. Exactly. It's, um, it's almost preconceived. You know what I mean? Like it's almost required at a certain point and kind of taking death and putting her right in front of my characters immediately threw them for the biggest loop i think i've ever seen and it was it was an absolute blast playing it out because none of them saw it coming and i was so happy um to see the look on their faces during that that's great i'm not surprised the characters decided to sidestep some universe level exposition for (laughs) their personal stakes because we can we can be motivated to tell a story that spans all of time and space, but we are dealing with a table of people numbering three to five who have very real designs on where they want to go, what they want to try and do, and what they're willing to do to those that are standing in their way. And even when that doesn't quite fit the story that we had in mind, it can still be an absolute crackerjack of a story. Oh yeah, I mean it's like I said that that moment where in you know the, at the very end of the Camaresca arc that that last like ten minutes of that episode where mm-hmm. you know uh, what I did was uh, Jin's is she's not an orphan but her father has been dead for a long time. He died in the kind of cataclysmic event that kind of set off our story you know two hundred years in the past kind of thing. Mm-hmm. When I described her dreaming, first off, she's an elf. Elves don't dream, they trance. Um, and when I described her dreaming and then meeting her father, that was already one big... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, that was already one big to-do. That was already a giant, you know, WTF-style moment going on for the table. Sure. Then when she figured out who it was, an even bigger jump, and then like a roller coaster down when I flashed back to the ship... And I'm like, you know, hey, Nissa, you feel Jen's, you know, body on top of you. 
and they realize that their actions have these consequences that we were talking about, like kind of on the story. Seeing those those consequences, it's one thing knowing that I have all this lore written, that I know exactly how the universe works, that I know, you know, like their world isn't the only one, that their god isn't the only god, that there are forces even bigger than gods and stuff out in the universe. The fact that they don't know that on one hand kind of sucks for me because I'm I wrote all this and I'm like, okay, this is this is amazing, at least in my eyes. And I'm like, you know, this is this is the most fantastic story that's ever been written. I might be a little bit oh, biased right. on that, but <laughs> but I don't get to deliver that information. You know, I don't get to sit down and go, okay, well, like this is how this all works. But on the other hand, them taking that right turn instead of turning left, them kind of dropping this exposition and doing all that will also have its own set of consequences down the road. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. And like I, I mentioned like the butterfly effect before and stuff, you know, you start off from one point and you just have this massive web of events and stuff that happens or whatever. I may not even get to ever explain any of that. I may not get to settle down and go, okay, so this is how all of this works. But maybe them not knowing at the end of the story, you know, how wherever that story ends, will also have consequences you know what i mean and maybe i don't get to tell that particular part of the story in this campaign maybe that's something we can come back to further down the line maybe we return to terra in season four or season five or something along those lines and they get to mm -hmm. see the consequences of those actions you see what i'm saying like yeah just layers and layers and layers on storytelling and it's one of the best things that you can do at a table absolutely a PC does not need to know the inner workings of every level of the infrastructure in order to be able to throw a giant rock at that infrastructure <laughs> and have a definite, unyielding impact on the way things are going. Yeah. And, like, it's great if the story comes prepackaged with someone who is invested in understanding things like the rules of space and time or the laws of life and death as they are prescribed. And sometimes you don't get that lucky. Sometimes it's it's more about the adventurers breaking someone out of prison or getting on a ship and realizing they're actually traveling to the land of the dead. Mm -hmm. It's a blast seeing like how players will turn around and make the world that I spent so long working on into their world. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to explain, but it, it, it's... It's a fun thing to watch and it's a fun thing to witness kind of at the table, this kind of evolving story based on like, you know, I can say like five words. I could be like, you all meet in a tavern and let it go from there. And what happens at the end will be its own story completely different than if you had said you all meet in a tavern. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It's it's so fun. It's one of the, the the best aspects about Dungeons and Dragons or any tabletop game, like pretty much bar none, in my opinion. Yeah. You think that you're building this world, and then when the players sit down to it, you realize it's not your world. It's theirs. We just built it for them. Yeah. <laughs> and they're going to be making all of the decisions and choices that push their version of the story forward. It's, it's, it's dynamite. In a previous episode of The Joy of GMing, we talked with uh, Ryan Blake 
about NPC voices. And you mentioned that one of the things you enjoy doing is practicing NPCs. I wanted to ask you, what do you look for in the voice of an NPC to set them apart? How, what is your NPC creation process like? Can you tell something to, for our listeners? Most of the time, I'm in kind of a weird boat with NPCs a lot of, a lot of the time because when I create NPCs, typically what I do is I create upwards of f- maybe four, maybe five NPCs that I will have throughout the entire campaign. These will be characters that our party deals with on a very regular basis. And I'll tend to come up with something like really unique for those or at least not necessarily unique because they may sound like other voices other people have done mm-hmm. but i will make them unique from each other right typically with all the background like um i am very lazy when it comes to being a dm i'm gonna be honest uh, a lot of times i will create npcs kind of on the fly and i'll just you know they go to visit some random shop or something like that and i'm like okay you find um let me google real quick an elf whose name happens to be let me google real quick rami El- you know what i mean stuff like that um sure and those particular npcs what i'll do is i'll use some variation on these you know voices that i've designed for other characters um but as for like designing the actual voices for characters i play often a lot of times i like to kind of break tropes and try voices i've never tried before oh yeah because you can you can take any like for example um typically dwarven characters and stuff will have a scottish accent or something or some variation on that you know they'll be a little bit irish or a little bit scottish or something like that and it's it's a very easy thing to do right yeah like in um tara one of our main characters that we meet is uh, named leo he owns the airship that our party makes use of and stuff throughout the story he's an elf and i made him scottish just because you know what i mean like i was like you know what i don't have a dwarf but i'm pretty good with a scottish accent let's make him scottish (laughs) yeah you know what i mean a lot of times it's it's almost like what i feel like at the moment you know what i mean Mm. what i'll do is i i have a repertoire of maybe five or six real voices and accents that i can do and i tend to vary those you know what i mean like Mm. i'll change pitch but i'm still using the same accent all of a sudden it's a different voice right Mm-hmm. And it's it's the little things that you can do when you're doing stuff like you can have a Scottish accent and you can have someone talk like this the entire time and it's, it's just kind of doing your thing or whatever. But if you change the little things, if you change like the way that they enunciate words um, and you, you know, have their um, have them actually pronounce like their T's and their D's and stuff like that. A lot of times I'll just use my own voice. But because I don't typically enunciate those T's and D's like that, but I do when I'm playing this character, it sounds completely different. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It, it, little little changes like that will make for a whole host of voices that you can use for pretty much anybody. I also kind of forget to use voices sometimes. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> it happens to the best of us. Yeah, or I'll uh, I'll change their voice without realizing it. It happens for one of our characters, um, Halloran. Mm-hmm who he just kind of has this kind of country voice you know he's just kind of gruff and he's got a almost a little bit of that southern bell gentleman kind of thing going on that kind of inflection to me is almost british at the same time and i'll find myself accidentally slipping into like a country british at the same time and i have to stop myself you know what i mean (laughs) like hang on i've gone (laughs) cross-eyed basically that's that's why i say i like practicing voices i 
have a job where I'm afforded a certain amount of um, autonomy and stuff. You know what I mean? I don't have like people looking over my shoulder and stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. So when I'm like walking around, I'll practice those voices under my breath and stuff, just kind of talking to myself while I'm, you know, doing my job. And it's mm -hmm. it's led to more than one situation where I have like uh, customers at the store I work at just looking at me kind of weird because I just said something really weird um, in a, you know, like trying out my uh, quote unquote female voice. I'm saying that and then they ask me something and I look at them and answer in a completely different tone and it's thrown <laughs> them for a loop. Um, and I've gotten, like I said, more than a few weird looks when it comes to that. But a lot of the times, as for like like designing voices and stuff, it's really just me messing around and trying to see what I can come up with. You know what I mean? Like I don't necessarily, I don't really draw like inspiration from anything or whatever. Okay. It's just me, just me messing around. You know what I mean? And trying to see like what kind of weird stuff I can do. And then going, hey, that would make for a really fun UNT voice. Let's make it happen. You know what I mean? Let's see what weird stuff we can do. I feel like that, not only could that be on a t-shirt, but like that needs to be on the, at the top of a blank sheet of paper for world building. Let's see what kind of weird stuff we can do. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to get weird with it sometimes will lead to really wild situations. So there's a character in the game whose name is Lucas and he's Nissa's grandfather. Okay. Nissa is a gnome, and gnomes typically have really long lifespans. She herself is 180 mm -hmm. years old, and she'll live to be 300 or so. But when I was thinking about like her grandfather, I was thinking about you know like trying to do an old person voice and stuff. And so I came up with a voice off the top of my head, and it was just I'm gonna get really weird with it. I'm gonna make him a little bit senile, a little bit you know, kind of wacky. And I'm like, let's just get weird with it. And as it turns mm -hmm. out later on in the campaign. I had to describe Lucas and my table said, if you killed Lucas, we will riot. And I didn't realize that they had become so attached to this, like kind of throwaway character that I made just because of his voice, just because I did something weird. You know what I mean? They absolutely adored him. So it's fun. If you get That's weird great. with it, a lot of times it'll work out. Um, sometimes it won't. Sure. But you can learn from that, you know, and kind of move past it. You absolutely can. With NPCs, with finding their voices, for me, sometimes it's a process that's as simple as casting them in my head as an actor that gave a memorable performance in something, probably British, probably Doctor Who. <laughs> you know, as a starting point, there's an NPC that's is just modeled off of Stephen Merchant because I've never seen him play anything but idiots and I wanted to set myself the challenge of how do we play a likable idiot and the answer was Brandable Smocket who's oh yeah no he means well he means he really means well but he's uh, he's, he's not terribly bright sorry um <laughs> Like, as long as he's not being mean and he actually wants to do well at his job and he's pretty much toothless, great. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know? that, that's the thing. Like, you've got voice actors out there who have this this massive, like, repertoire of, of voices. You've got people out there, like Matt Mercer, for example, who mm -hmm. the man will come up with voices and noises that I did not know a human being could, like, physically make. Um, he did, he recently guessed 
DM'd, I guess, on Dimension 20. Mm -hmm. And he makes a noise during that that I have not heard outside of the heaviest of death metal bands. And he just uh, makes it that kind of thing. Well, no, like it's 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 really hard to explain, but it's like deep down in his chest and it's gurgly and weird. And it's I don't even know how to explain it. It is just uncomfortable to hear. But the thing is, like with voices, not everybody has to be that talented or that good. You know what I mean? you can you can use your voice for everything you can i can talk like this and like i said before just change certain things about it or whatever essentially be a completely different person by just like yeah. describing actions you know what i mean so like i can have like you don't you don't have to have like if you want to describe a character you know being an idiot for example to use your um, example describing them stepping on a rake right and kind of going through that, you can use your own voice and then turn around and make a character somebody completely different. Like when you said Stephen Merchant and then you said idiot, my first thought was Chris Farley. Ah. I'm like, okay, I want to make like a Chris Farley character now. You know what I mean? Like that kind of slapstick mm -hmm. style comedy. Buffoon. Yeah, you know what I mean? But I'm like, okay, so how do you do like a Chris Farley voice? I, I can't. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't think my you know, vocal timber and stuff would allow me to replicate that. But I could make a character like that. Yeah. And just describe actions and then use a different voice and stuff. Like, the versatility of that kind of thing is, is useful a lot. Very much so. Like, there's something to be said for NPCs that simply embody a particular mood or attitude. Mm -hmm. You know? You can use the same register or the same, like, pitch for, you know, two or three different characters. But if one of them is in a, you know, a pretty cheerful mood and ready to help you, that's that's fine. I'm 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 here to facilitate whatever needs to go on. And if someone else is just annoyed and kind of just in a pissy mood and they're clearly not here to for your benefit or anyone else's, they're here for their very own or someone that's just delighted. Like, you know, I'm in a great mood. How can I help you guys? What's going on? And all three of those same vocal cords. Mm -hmm. You know? But it's just a different, just a different mood. Yeah, kind of going back off to the original question that kind of started off this whole tirade of voices. You said like, you know, like inspiration and stuff. And I think that's a good place to start, right? Is mood. Think about the character. Think about what kind of situation they're in and how your like character, your, your PCs and stuff are going to interact with that character or how you want them to interact with that character. And you can start off with just a mood. If you're interacting with the villain, you can make them, you know, cold and calculating. Draw out the words a little bit and enunciate those T's and D's in such a way that, you know, kind of stuff like that. That smug superiority of someone who has to slow down to make sure the plebeians understand him. Exactly. Or, again, use that same voice and just go a little bit more cheerful and, and, and you know, hopeful with your tone and kind of think about the things that, you know, you want them to be able to see the sunlight in the morning and stuff like that. Think about that mood that you're trying to set. And you can go from there and create thousands of different voices. You really can. You start yeah. off with the bass and then just change it. Just vary it just a little bit here and there. You might eventually end up with Matt Mercer's repertoire to kind of circle back. <laughs> maybe. But also maybe not because, dear Lord, that man... <laughs> we all have our skill sets 
And if you're on this show, if you're listening to this show, then clearly you care about doing a good job as a GM or a DM. As important, at more important than any accent or character lilt or anything like that is wanting to tell a good story, wanting to get the players involved, wanting them on the edges of their seats, waiting to hear what happens next, waiting to make the next thing happen because it's their role in the initiative. Different voices, different having range with accents and things like that, that's great, but it's nowhere near as important as the ability to grip the listener. To draw them in as deep as they can possibly go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's... You hit it on the head. That is that is one thing I always I always see you know people talking about being a DM and stuff. It's like oh I can't do many voices and stuff. Like you don't you don't have to. Mm-mm. You, you really don't. No, it's, you're not making a demo reel. No, it's like you can accurately portray characters just as easily by describing them. Like you can use your voice and walk up to someone, but if you describe their character kicking a puppy, <laughs> they're going to immediately know that this character is bad news. You know what I mean? And that's that's all you need to describe that scene just as much as do that voice and you can do whatever you don't need this huge repertoire of voices and stuff anybody can get by as long as you can have that moment where they immediately know this is a good guy or where they immediately know this is a bad guy mm-hmm. and you have that in in the story you're good you're golden they will immediately hate that person because they kicked a puppy that's all you needed in mm-hmm. that story you know what i mean yeah it's it's there it's done continue you know what i mean We have seen the antagonist kick a puppy. We have seen a love interest kick a puppy. (laughs) Oops. The protagonist now has some thinking to do about their love interest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you have time with young and inexperienced GMs who are starting out. What do you, Shane, want them to know about your approach to GMing? What are the most important things how do you know you've done it well <laughs> first off those are those are two very different questions one how do i know i've done it well i you're, you're good but i'll answer the, the second question first right okay um how, how do you know that you're doing well i mean you don't one of the biggest things about dming is that you kind of set yourself up to be not necessarily the center of attention mm-hmm. but you're the center of attention very often and you have to be to kind of continue the story and stuff and the biggest thing dms especially new DMs or even GMs um, from any tabletop system. The most important thing is just get out there and do it. Mm-hmm. A lot a lot of times you're not going to do a fantastic job. And as long as you can look at it and you can learn from that, you can go, okay, here's what I did wrong. You can move on. And there are still times like I'm running a whole podcast. I run uh, several games on Start Playing Games. And every time after the episode or after the session or whatever, I will tell my players, hey, I thrive on feedback. You know, let me know what I did wrong. Let me know what I did right. Mm-hmm. Tell me so that I can move forward. And a lot of times, because, you know, people are the way they are and stuff or whatever, I don't really get those responses. You know, I don't get the review on start playing. My players are just like, you know, okay, you did cool. And then they just you know, continue on doing what their thing or whatever. And it's one of those things where like you, you don't always know if you did a good job, right? Mm-hmm. But the key to all this is just let go of that anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. 
the first step to being a DM is literally just to sit up and do it. And you can you can do that in multiple ways. You can run a pre-established module. D&D 5e in particular has a wealth of stuff to draw from. Seriously. They've got something like 20-something source books, both of like one-shot adventures. Campaign settings. Full 20-level campaigns. Yeah, campaign settings. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're about to release Planescape pretty soon, which is absolutely wild. And, you know, there's like 17 settings in that one book alone kind of thing. You don't even have to necessarily homebrew or write your own stuff. You could just use one of these adventures to get mm -hmm. started. Or if you don't like any of those adventures and you do want to write your own thing, if you have a story that you want to tell, the only way that you're going to get that out there is to just do it. Seriously. Your first couple sessions may not go so well. Starting on Start Playing Games, for example, I have DM'd for 15 years mm -hmm. but every time i have dm'd i have dm'd for friends i have dm'd for people that i personally know and have known for a decent amount of time so it's one of those things where like i know exactly what they're expecting and i know how they're going to play and i know the chaos that they'll bring to the table so that i can expect that kind of so on and so forth but getting started on start playing games for example i don't know the players you know what I mean? They have mm -hmm. come to me because they want an experience and kind of stuff like that. But I don't know any of these people. I don't know how they're going to react to my particular style of storytelling. I don't know how they're going to react to my character voices or my, you know, rulings and stuff in the game. And I won't know unless I just do it. Unless they tell me, you kind of have to assume that you're at least doing a good job. Most people will not kind of give you positive feedback a lot it's kind of the the same idea as something like yelp right <laughs> most of the reviews uh, bear with me here it'll make sense in a second most of the reviews you see on websites like yelp or google reviews and stuff are not positive reviews they're not like good things where they're like this is the best product ever made nine times out of ten they're negative right mm. and it's one of those things where it's like okay if no one's telling me that i'm doing a bad job but they continue to show up every week they continue to play, they continue to get invested in stuff. Even if you're not hearing that kind of positive feedback, mm -hmm. you're doing fine if they're continuing to show up. If they're there on time, if they're willing to you know, get into character and stuff, you're doing as good as can be expected at the very least, right? Absolutely. And nine times out of ten, if you do something wrong, if you do something that people don't like, they'll tell you. And you can use that to grow. You can use that to continue to expand and you can go, okay, maybe I don't need to do that anymore. Or maybe even I don't need to do that with this particular group, but the other group, you know, that you're playing with will accept it, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But it all goes back to the beginning of like, just, just do it because you're not going to know any of these things unless you experience it. And that's the biggest thing to starting out for like fresh DMs or even fresh players can take that, that same kind of advice and stuff is just do it go from there as long as you're able to learn from your mistakes you'll be fine one way or the other you know what i mean i do I, I find it interesting but not necessarily surprising that what you've been saying overlaps a lot with what other people that we've had on the show have said the prevailing wisdom of don't worry too much about making mistakes keep going learn from feedback and don't worry about how you're doing, just focus on doing a good job. I do want to say, though, I, I think the value of a session zero cannot be overstated. Because in terms of playing for the first time with new 
players, with new characters who may or may not even know the system this well. Having a session zero so that we can kick the tires on character concepts, on gaming mechanics, on chemistry at the table. We did a poll recently asking fans what they looked for most when they were looking and considering listening to an actual play podcast. And we asked them about like, is it the plot? Is it the bells and whistles? Is it the team chemistry? What do you, what do you most look for? What, what's the most enjoyable part for you? And what I was delighted to find was that more than anything, they looked for good team chemistry, for good table chemistry. And I kind of have to agree that one of the most enjoyable things for me is just like listening to Unnatural One, the chemistry of the players, the chemistry of the PCs. They get along, they know each other, there's some back and forth, there's real listening going on, you know? Yeah, I mean, my players, again, most of us have been friends. We've been playing Dungeons and Dragons together for almost five years and stuff at this point. Mm -hmm. It was one of those things where, like, I've been DMing for 15 years, and I started playing Dungeons and Dragons back when I was in high school. And uh, a friend of mine's dad used to run one of those, like, 20-year-long style campaigns where they met, like, every week, you know, perfectly on time and stuff wow and i would be i would be playing video games in the other room but i would be listening to this and i was like yo let me get involved in that but a lot of my friends at the time you know they weren't interested in dungeons and dragons and this is before websites like start playing games and stuff come up Mm -hmm. so i only had a couple of people to kind of play this with but when you know like i said like about five years ago or so josh actually was like hey have you guys ever tried playing dungeons and dragons my eyes light up, my ears perk up, and I appear in a robe with the player's <laughs> handbook directly next to him. And I'm like, hey, you know, let's let's get this going. When the players are ready, the GM appears. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's one of those things where, like, we've, we've been friends for so long that the chemistry is not just the chemistry of, like, the players or the, the characters themselves, but of the, the players. You know, you'll see a lot of times in the campaign itself my players will actually like rib me and like, go after me and stuff because like i mispronounce a word there was a thing that happened recently with the word adrenaline for some reason when my brain uh says the word adrenaline it puts a d in there so it's adrenaline <laughs> everybody at my table immediately stopped what they were doing to go after me for a solid five minutes over the way i pronounced the word and i was totally involved the entire time because i swear up until that moment i thought that word actually had a d in it more than the one and i was like okay so maybe that's not the case but that kind of chemistry that we have is born from you know that long friendship and stuff Mm -hmm. and that chemistry it shows at the table in moments like that where you know we can pick at each other and we can um, laugh at each other and laugh at ourselves sure um, in the process but starting out it does take some time to kind of build that chemistry with other people a lot of people are kind of naturally reserved mm. i guess when they're meeting new people for the first time yeah uh, it takes a little it takes a little while to open up you know what i mean yeah and we didn't really have that problem starting out with our podcast because again we've known each other for you know so long that it's it's over half our lives and stuff at this point mm-hmm. and we we kind of already had that chemistry involved but session zeros 
to kind of figure out that chemistry and stuff. Yeah, they're, they're, session zeros are super important for multiple reasons. Like you can use session zero to make sure that everyone in your game is okay with the tone of the story because you know every story could be completely different. Yeah, you can use Dungeons and Dragons. You know, fifth edition is incredibly versatile for what it for what it does. Absolutely. And you can have you know a, a sci-fi campaign, you know, something similar to like a Doctor Who. Or um, they even released Spelljammer not yeah. too long ago, or something like Planescape. It's like a big world-hopping adventure, or something more homebrew. There's entire adventures, if I'm not mistaken, um, Waterdeep Dragon Heist and Dungeon of the Mad Mage all take place within one city. Wow, stuff like that. Kind of have to use Session Zero to set the expectations. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, Session Zeros are great for setting expectations. Like, and just like you said, establishing tone, the pacing, the world, like it's your pilot, essentially, you know, it's Mm -hmm. your pilot script of like, well, this is what we're trying to go for. These are the characters that we want to be involved. And it's okay. It is okay if a table never gets past session zero, because it is just as much about discovering what doesn't quite click while you're looking for that click, you know? Mm-hmm. Not every player or every DM wants the exact same thing from a tabletop role-playing game. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason why so many different tabletop role-playing games exist. I mean, you've got everything from, like, Dungeons & Dragons to... I'm going to be honest, um, until Courtney, like, saw your stuff on Twitter, um, and we kind of started having the, the conversation about me appearing on the show and stuff, I did not know that a Doctor Who role-playing game existed. I probably should have, because I am a big fan of Doctor Who, and I am a big fan of, of tabletop role-playing games. Mm-hmm. And I should have known that there was a system, but I just didn't. It, it never even occurred to me to look. That's okay. But, like, the tone and stuff for all these different games and stuff could be completely different. Not everybody wants a high fantasy style, you know, Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. Some people like to play stuff like Shadowrun or Cyberpunk or, or Ravenloft. You know, any of these other games. Yeah. That Session Zero, you know, even within the same system, like I said, not everybody wants the same game. That Session Zero will set those expectations. In addition to stuff like, you know, party chemistry, in addition to stuff like player chemistry or even certain, like, rulings, uh, there's a lot of people who will say, like, if you don't rule potions as a bonus action in D&D 5e, I'm not playing with you. Um, stuff like that. At Session Zeros, will go ahead and weed those out, you know what I mean? Yeah. And make sure that everybody at the table is having fun. And there's more to that, too, because some games will get real dark. You know, some games will have some real messed up stuff in it. And even stuff like lines and veils and, you know, safety lines and stuff like that can be important in a session zero. It might be players who don't want to play in games like that. Absolutely. It may be players who, you know, have certain content triggers and stuff like that that they don't want to deal with. And session zero will kind of weed those things out and make sure that everybody at the table is having a fun time, which is ultimately the goal of these kind of games. Yeah. Is that everybody's having fun. That's the reason 99% of us do it is to have fun. Um, Even those out there who are doing something like a podcast or doing something like start playing games where they're, you know, they're getting paid to do something with a tabletop role playing game and stuff. If they're not having fun, they're probably not going to continue doing it, Mm -mm. even if they are getting paid and stuff like that. Yeah. It is fun at the end of the day. That's that's going to be driving everybody. And not everybody has fun in the same kind of way. Absolutely not. 
Some people want that sword and sorcery experience. Others want a good blaster and a personal force field at their side. And, you know, a third party might all be about solving a murder mystery at a exotic hotel in the Alps. <laughs> or fighting off the fishmen of Innsmouth. Because <laughs> that's how they enjoy yeah. themselves. Mm, Call of Cthulhu. I do love me some Call of Cthulhu. Right? <laughs> But this kind of goes back to that same, uh, to kind of circle back to the question you asked about, like, uh, first-time DMs and stuff. That's also another really good thing. Experiment, you know, with different types of games, different stories, different, uh, even role-playing systems. I use Dungeons & Dragons 5e pretty much exclusively because I know it best and because it's so versatile. Mm -hmm. But many other systems work better for a lot of different other things and that's another uh, another good example is you don't have to play D&D you don't have to play you know Doctor Who 2E you don't have to play Pathfinder you don't have to play Shadowrun or Cyberpunk or any of these other things no. there's plenty of, of game systems out there to play around with and you might find that one of those other systems are better at telling the story that you want to tell or make your own letting the players tell the story that they want to tell yeah any of those things um, that's another really good tip for aspiring DMs play around with it experiment try different systems yeah yeah there's tons of options out there even Doctor Who games <laughs> which even again, I, I did not know Doctor Who <laughs> I'm already looking forward to kicking the tires on kids on bikes I've seen kids on brooms played on Dimension 20 during their side quest season Magic and Misfits or Misfits and Magic and mm -hmm found it engrossing not because of the hogwarts-esque harry potter-esque world of magic but the slightly even more collaborative and interactive effects of the of the storytelling with the impact of the dice rolls it's not quite D, &D and it's definitely not anything like doctor who and that's the beautiful thing it doesn't have to be all we got to do is get on the same page about how the rules work, and then we're off to the races. There's a real fun system that I've been thinking about looking into called uh, Fate Accelerated. Yeah? There's a podcast called I Cast Fireball. Um, shout out to Thomas and those guys. They uh, have another side podcast, very similar to uh, the Joys of GMing, like a podcast within a podcast thing. Nice. Where one of their players takes the role of DM and runs Fate Accelerated games, and they have... They run kind of the same arc-based system that I do, but every arc is like a completely different world. Mm. Their very first season, just to put it into perspective for you, is Jurassic Bake Off, where dinosaurs are playing the Great Bake Off oh. British television. And they also did Miceborn, which is my favorite one. Redwall and Excellent. Brandon Sanderson's Mistborn series combined into one thing where they use lactomancies the magic of cheese <laughs> and so on and so forth and it's that man knows so much about cheese it's not even funny um I, again to kind of encompass this entire conversation we've had like back to the first rules get weird with it yeah have a mouse that flies through the air and uses lactomancy try out these different systems try out these you know different stuff and just get out there and do it and you never know like what's going to show up as long as everybody's having fun follow your joy you're there like that's that's it as long as you're not hurting anybody as long as you're not making anyone at the table uncomfortable follow your bliss mm -hmm. that's that's good life advice not just you know tabletop advice first do no harm then find your joy <laughs> and that's that's honestly one of the things like one of the reasons we started the podcast 
it's because we all love Dungeons and Dragons so much. We've had an absolute blast for the past five years getting together and kind of doing this. And it's one of those things where like, you know, we hope uh, one day that the podcast may be able to, to take off. We hope we might be at like something like Critical Role level or NADPOD level mm-hmm. or um, High Rollers to shout out another huge podcast and stuff like that or Dimension 20 or any of these other big podcasts and stuff. And, you know, when you start off a podcast like this, there's always that small little wish that dream that hope that you know you'll end up being able to do this like as a career for example Mm. but the thing is even if we don't right even if this this, you know the podcast never takes off i have followed the same rules that i've set forth here whatever i got weird with it i've you know changed up what i believe to be the the standard for like a for dnd actual play podcast and Mm. stuff with the way our podcast is kind of set up and like the arc based format and then the um, smaller, shorter episodes and campaigns and stuff. That's it's not a four hour critical role episode and stuff like that. And then I, I did it, you know, I got out there, I put out my story and then you know, we'll see where the dice lies. But that is one of the things like, you know, chase your joys, chase your dreams. Absolutely. We might not get to that point, right? We may not get to the point where I'm at, you know, Dimension 20 level or whatever, or where I can host. All we can do is roll the dice. We don't know how they're going to land. Yeah. I Again, I, I don't know, but it's has been one of the funnest things that I have been able to do in my entire life is run this podcast and have fun with my friends and then let other people join in on that fun. Meeting some of the uh, the fans and stuff, like I've made like pretty much lifelong friends with these people who are like fully invested in stuff in it or whatever and i'm like i will fly you out and put you on the podcast if you want you know stuff like that i mean it all comes back to just do it i I hate to repeat that line so much but it i mean it's it's it is fairly true i have been fortunate enough to work on a number of different kinds of creative projects some were books some were graphic novels some were stage plays and not all of them have been what I would call traditionally successful in terms of, oh, well, this sold a million copies or, oh, this sold even a thousand copies. But the, the things I learned from these experiences, the joy I felt connecting with an audience, um, being able to stand in the back of a filled house, watching them watching something that I had written like, these are memories I'm going to carry with me the rest of my life, and the only reason I have them is because I went for it. You know? Mm-hmm. I just went out and did it. And that can inform your work down the road. The mistakes you make yesterday can inform the storytelling you do today that becomes the polish of the job you do tomorrow. You know? This is a perfect example right like doing this kind of like you know interview chatting with you and and doing this whole experience right i never figured that anyone would ever want to sit here and and talk and have this kind of conversation and stuff and then would you know willingly publish this kind of thing and get out there and like be like hey check this guy out you know that kind of thing i never figured i would be doing anything like this but this is the first ever actual like interview style thing I've done. And honestly, I hope I get to do a lot more for obvious reasons. I hope you do too. But I would never have this kind of experience, this kind of fun, if I didn't get out there and just go for it. You know, just... Yeah. It is not easy to find one's own tribe. 
I think being able to get online and go to places like Discord where you can find some safety from hate speech and talk safely with people and get to know other people. And by celebrating the things that bring you joy, that make you happy, that's how you find other weirdos who like the stuff that you like. <laughs> and there will be somebody else out there. Always. There will. There absolutely will. To tell a secret, some of the Joy of GMing episodes have been more popular uh, just in terms of plays than episodes of our actual storytelling with sound effects and immersive sound environments behind them. You know, like we're trying to do world building and all of this nice narrative. And honestly, some people just enjoy talking about storytelling more. And that's fine. That's absolutely fine. Yeah, I mean that's there. There are a ton of people, especially like with the uh, like the the popularity of stuff like um, you know Stranger Things, mm-hmm. you know, um, kind of bringing Dungeons and Dragons in particular into like the main spotlight. There's a ton of people like trying to get involved in this kind of stuff, and that's one. It's great for the hobby. It's fantastic to have a, an inflow of like a bunch of new people who are interested and who want to get involved. And some of them may not stick around. Some of them mm-hmm. will. But, you know, that's just part of the whole industry, part of the whole business. You, you were talking about um, how the, you know, this type of episode gets bigger. It kind of goes back again. People like different things. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Some people may not like um, listening to an actual play. They may prefer to actually get out there and get on the table or, you know, on the, the screen or whatever and actually play it. And some people, you know, like us, for example, love writing these kind of worlds, love building these mm. huge, expansive universes and kind of doing stuff like that. And they may never actually play a game. They may never, you know, they may never put their ideas out onto paper or put them out in a podcast or put them out onto a screen or anything like that. But there is somebody out there who will enjoy the same things that you do, even if it's just us sitting here talking about, you know. Mm-hmm how to do character voices for example yeah. someone out there can do a lot of weird character voices at the family reunion and they want to learn how to do more and they'll listen to this episode and go that's a fun idea you know what i mean, you mean i can actually uh, do that yeah you can have all kinds of, of of content and stuff out there and there will be somebody out there who enjoys it always yes there will shane how can our listeners get in touch with you uh, you can find us on Twitter or uh, any of our other podcast uh, platforms or anything else like that just by going to uh, linktree.com slash unnatural1. It's got a link to pretty much everything. Every podcast platform we're available on and all our social media is on there. All in one nice, neat little place. Beautiful. And the links to Unnatural1 will be available in the doobly-doo. Shane, I want to thank you one more time for being on our show today and sharing your experiences with our listeners. Not a problem. I, it's been fun, and I look forward to, one, listening to it, and two, hopefully somebody gets something out of this. Um, that's kind of why we're doing this, so I hope you guys enjoyed it just as much. Beautiful. And finally, to our listeners, another great big thank you for sharing your precious time with us. If you feel it's been well spent, please share the joy of GMing with your friends who are looking to enjoy themselves. You can email your questions for me and our players and send fan art to anywherebutnowpodcast at gmail.com or questions for our future guests. And if you'd like me to run a game of Doctor Who for you, reach out on startplaying.games. If you like what you hear, leave a review 
rate the show, and follow us on Blue Sky and on Twitter at AnywhereButNow with an underscore at the end, and wherever you get your podcasts. Links to everything in the doobly-doo. From all of us, I'm Casey Jones. There's exciting things to come, my friends. I'm glad you're along for the ride. Thanks so much, and have a great day.